Uh, it's just been so good. I mean, every, every place we've been, especially uh, the Hadley family, just putting up with our crazy kids and us, and uh, so it's been really good. And um, all the food's been amazing, so thank you for everything that uh, people have put into it. And uh, if anybody knows, I love food. So thank you for the food, thank you for the desserts. And I uh, got some ice cream today too. Praise God for that. Uh, we went almost a year without ice cream out in the village of Point Hope, Alaska, and that was torture. <laughs> I don't know if anybody loves ice cream like I do, but my goodness, we flew into a small village of Kotzebue, which is an hour south of where we're at, and it's about 2,000 people, and they had on a menu there for a little restaurant they have, they had uh, some kind of frosty, or well, I don't know what it was, something you would get, and we got that, I'm telling you right now, that was not ice cream. Whatever that was, it was not ice cream. So we flew into Anchorage, this was about a little over a month ago, and they had uh, McDonald's. And uh, so I got a Sunday at McDonald's. So that was a blessing. So I know that might not seem like a lot, but my goodness, when you go almost a year without ice cream, there's something special about that. Amen. So you thank God for the little things. And uh, I just want to thank you just again for just all this opportunity to be able to be here. Again, if you don't know us, uh, my name is Matthew. This is my wife, Jennifer. Uh, we're missionaries to Arctic, Alaska. Uh, it's uh, specifically called Point Hope, Alaska, the village there. A uh, little less than a thousand Eskimo villagers there, only accessible by Bush Pilot Plain. And uh, it's the oldest continuously inhabited village in North America with over 4,000 years of recorded history. And you say, why in the world would anybody live there? I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, I believe a lot of it's just the pride of them saying, listen, we've been here the longest as far as, I, as, far as anybody knows. Um, and uh, so it's just a blessing to be able to minister out there. We've been out there for almost seven years. This January will be seven years. And uh, if you have time, if you could go back and get our prayer card with everybody else as well, all the other missionaries. But it's been so good to meet uh, Brother Johnson and, and the Gurmies and the Reisingers. And, and uh, I have to have everybody's names written down because I forget my own kids' names. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, so when I'm put on the spot, I'm like, Joanna, jo jo whatever your name is, you know, you know do right. So... Uh, again, just, uh, I don't know if anybody else is like that, but sometimes we need name tags on our kids, amen. But in regards to the kids too, well, we have two miracle children. We have Jacob is five, our boy. Joanna is two, and we have another one on the way. So sure, appreciate your prayers. Uh, uh, that baby is due March 8th. And I'm flying back to the village um, October 14th, so about two weeks. And, uh, and she's a very high-risk pregnancy, so um, she's going to be staying in Buffalo, New York. So be praying for that. She's going to be staying with my in-laws. She's going to be staying with her parents. So pray for that. <laughs> Amen. She's moving back in with her parents. <laughs> so pray for, the, pray for everybody involved. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, if you would turn with me tonight to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to go to two places. Revelation chapter 4, Exodus chapter 14 as well. So Revelation chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And... If you can come Sunday night, hopefully you'll be able to come tomorrow and Sunday morning and Sunday night. We're going to be showing our missions video, Lord willing, on Sunday night. And you'll be able to get a little bit better of an idea of where we're at, what kind of people are there, and, and uh, just different culture out there. Uh, but I thought it was really cool. You know, Lord does this a lot. Brother Johnson, he ended with Revelation chapter 14 last night. And it's just, I can't tell you how many conferences and meetings we've been in where a lot of times God just melds together the, the sermons. And so it was so neat. I, I was, you know, I, I believe that God for a few days now wanted me to preach this message, starting re with Revelation chapter 4. And it was so neat when uh, he ended with Revelation chapter 4 last night. So we're going to pick up a little bit where he left off here in Revelation chapter 4. And here in verse 
we know what's going on here. Here, of course, this is in heaven. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says this, And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to go up to heaven and see some of this stuff. This stuff is unbelievable. Verse 8 is, is unbelievable to me as well. Verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night. <laughs> Here they are with eyes all over the place. Just unbelievable. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for the word of God. Lord, I thank you so much for this King James Bible, Lord, Age of 23 years old, Lord, I picked this thing up, and the next day, Lord, I remember reading in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you so much. At 23 years old, Lord, you had mercy on my soul and saved my soul from hell. Lord, I thank you so much that I can be here tonight. I don't, I don't even believe I deserve at all to be up here. And Lord, I just pray that you'd get me and my flesh out of the way, hide me behind the cross, uh, have me as an empty vessel cleansed, Lord, that might be able to be used by you, filled by you. And Lord, I pray you'd help me to be a help to the people here tonight and not a hindrance. Lord, again, we just thank you so much for this missions conference. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I'll never forget, this was a few years ago in Point Hope in the village there, and they were having a graduation, high school graduation. So the kids were graduating. They were going to be getting out from underneath their parents' house, some of them. They were going to be moving away, maybe to Anchorage or other places to be able to go to college. And I'll never forget, usually they ask us every year, they ask us to come in and either pray before the, uh, the ceremony or after the ceremony, which is a blessing. I mean, we can give the gospel while we're praying, amen? And so here I was, I was there, of course, and I would have been there even if they didn't ask us to pray for it because I want to support our kids. And so I, I just remember here, this lady, it was the main speaker, she got up and she said, listen, I have... 12 years of college experience. She said, I have a doctorate. And then she had a bunch of different, you know, things, letters afterwards. And I'm all for education. There's, there's nothing wrong with education. But she got up there and she started the speech this way to all these kids, all these adults, all these little kids as well. And she said, now, I just want to start off by saying this. I have no idea why we are here on this earth. I have no idea what the purpose of life is. And then she went on to continue her speech. And I was just mortified. I'm, saying, I'm thinking, here are all these kids, these teenagers that are graduating high school. They're out to go in now into this world. And that's the worst thing you could say to them. I have no idea why we're here on this earth. That is unbelievable. I mean, the way the school systems are today and people are being trained up, they have no idea why we're here on this earth. And so I remember the next time we had church service, I opened up Revelation chapter 4 and I said, you want to know exactly why we are here on this earth. It's not by chance. 
We are not here by monkeys. We're not here by random chance of evolution that took millions and billions of years. And listen, I used to watch Star Wars, you know, and, and Star Wars, one of my favorite old-time movies back in the 70s when it came out, uh, in a galaxy far, far away, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's what evolution is. I mean, it took billions and trillions of years. It's, it's just a bunch of baloney, amen? And right here, you want to know why we're here on the earth. It's Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 which says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You want to know the purpose of life? You want anybody else to know the purpose of life? It's found right there in that simple verse that any little child can know, and that is we're here to please the Lord. We're here to give Him glory and honor and power. And it's so simple a little kid can understand it. And I would not give $5 for that education that woman got. Now, I don't doubt she's probably done a lot of good and things like that, but if, if you're starting out things like that by telling nobody they can know why they're here on this earth, that's pretty scary. We're here to give pleasure to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Exodus chapter 14. I want to look at a people here that fulfilled and were fulfilling the reason they've been put here. <laughs> Exodus chapter 14. We know this is, of course, the children of Israel. And in Exodus chapter 14, and look at verse 30. Exodus chapter 14, verse 30. The Bible says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. You know, here's this nation of Israel, and they are just blown away by what God, their Savior, has done for them. Here, God, of course, took them out of Egypt, which God calls in the Bible the Iron Furnace, took them out by those ten plagues and had Moses come and led them out, and they were able to get out of that terrible place of bondage, and they were able to get to the Red Sea. It looked like they were going to die because the Egyptians were coming after them to destroy them. And then God parted that Red Sea and they were able to walk upon dry ground and get upon the other side of the shore. And then, of course, when the Egyptians were in there, God rained down those waters upon the Egyptians and killed all their enemy. And here they were and they were just, uh, just absolutely filled with joy that here is a great God that is their God that has come through for them every single time. And here they're just so filled up with wanting to glorify God and sing praises to God that look at verse chapter 15, verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song. It doesn't say that just Moses was singing this song. It says the whole nation of Israel was singing it with Moses. So I can't imagine how they did it, how long it must have took. Either they all memorized this song together or they wrote it down somehow and they were copying it. Either way, it took a lot of work to get this song to be able to sing it all together in unison. 
And the reason why they're doing that is because they are just so in love with the Lord that has done so much for them and has come through for them every time that they are filled in their hearts with wanting to praise God and give glory to God and give honor to God and please their Savior. So they want to write this song and just shout and sing to their God. And here they are fulfilling the purpose that God put them on this earth to do. They are pleasing their God. But you know, it doesn't last long. Look with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Here, just three days ago, they are singing praises out to their God. Now, they are murmuring and complaining against the man of God that God had led them with and promised that he would bring them to the promised land, and they're murmuring against the man of God. You know what has happened here? These waters of Mara, these troubles that they have come to now, what's happening is they have stopped praising God from their heart. They've stopped pleasing and praising the, their Savior from their mouth. And now they're just murmuring and complaining. They are not fulfilling what they've been put here on the earth to do. They have stopped. And what, what was the issue? What was the problem? It was just troubles that they were faced with. Now, I don't know about you, but... We know according to the scriptures here that the Bible says we're going to go from one trial to another trial to another trial. You see that with the nation of Israel. They go here from one trial from the iron furnace in Egypt and they get out, they get to the Red Sea, they can't cross it. They think, oh my goodness, God's going to kill us here. It's another problem. I can't believe this. And then God comes through again and here they are going three days in the wilderness without water. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, we know that water is not a luxury. You need water to survive. And so here they are. I could just imagine after three days, they see these waters ahead of them. And I could just picture them dropping the things that they have and starting to run towards that water because they're so excited. They were probably saying, praise God, he's finally answered our prayers again. He's come through again. And I could just see if my son was there, my son Jacob, he'd just probably run and jump and just do a cannonball in that water. I could see other people just coming down and just lapping up that water, putting their faces in it. But then they just quickly spit out that water because that's bitter water. And I could just see them saying, what in the world is God doing? Here we are, we're doing what he told us to do. Three days in the wilderness, he's showed us water, but we can't drink it. And they start murmuring and complaining. You know, I'll never forget, I went on a camping trip with my brother-in-law many, many years ago. And you might know somebody like this that doesn't just go halfway. I mean, when they're going to do something, they go all out, right? And so, you know, you go to somebody's house and they say, well, we'll just have a little, you know, finger food. And they have like just, I mean, massive amounts of food. That's my brother-in-law. And he doesn't just do that with food. He does that with everything. And so he said, uh, do you want to go on a camping trip? I said, yeah, that'd be great. I like camping. And I thought he was just talking about, you know, you just drive in to the campsite and, and you get your tent, you just plop it down, you just sit there. And then when you're just tired of it, you get in your car and just drive away. That's not my brother-in-law. 
My brother-in-law said, okay, we're going to get our packs on. We're going to get our you know, camping equipment and the tent and the, the, the hatchets and everything that we need and the water and the food, and we're just going to go hike up this mountain for miles. I, I was young. I said, okay, no problem. And so here we are. It's 90-some degrees, and we're hiking up this mountain. And, I mean, it is hot. I'm exhausted. We're getting up there. I'm, I was younger at that time, so it wasn't that big a deal. But here I was, and we're hiking up there, and we get up to finally the top where we're going to have the campsite, and I figured, you know, I'm the youngest here. I should go and cut some wood. So I go there and find some dead trees and stuff and just start, you know, chopping them up, and, and I get the, and at this point, I've had no water, and it's been hours. I've had no water, and so I'm thirsty. I finally get to the point where I said, this is enough. This is enough wood, and I bring it over to the campsite, and I plop that wood down, and I sit down, and I said, okay, where's that water? Because I am so thirsty. And so here was my sister. She was in charge of the water. And uh, so she gives me this big, you know, thing of water that she had filled up. <clears throat> and so I'm so excited. And I take this thing of water, and I just take that top off, and I just, I just put it down. And all of a sudden, I just spit it out. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And she says, it's seltzer water. Now, I don't know about you, but if you like seltzer water, there's something wrong with you, <laughs> okay? I don't know why in the world they created seltzer water, but it is the worst thing on this earth. And here I was, I was so thirsty, and I just, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Tracy, what is wrong with you? I said, give me the other water bottle. And she's like, well, that's seltzer water too. I said, is that all you brought is seltzer water? And she said, yeah. I said, what is wrong? I said, Tracy, you had one job. One job, bring water. You did not bring water. I couldn't drink the stuff. She said, shake that thing really, you know, a lot. It'll get all the carbonation, the, you know, all that out of the fizziness or whatever. And so I shook that thing until it was dead. And I tried to drink it again. I couldn't drink it. I got sick to my stomach. And so you say, what did you do? I didn't drink anything all night long. And I mean, it was hot. I was so thirsty. I dreamt that night. I kid you not. <laughs> I dreamt that night, if you've ever seen a billboard or you've seen a commercial with uh, clear glass, you know, and, and, you know, you've got the ice in there, and then they start pouring the soft drink, the Coca-Cola or the Pepsi or whatever, and then, you know, you got the water beads coming down. I'm dreaming this thing that night, and I take that thing. I kid you not. I take that thing, and I'm just guzzling that thing down, and I'm just enjoying it, you know, and all of a sudden, I wake up, and it's in the middle of the night, right? And my tongue is stuck to the roof of my mouth. I could not, I mean, I'm pulling that thing down, and I was miserable. And now I didn't wake up, you know, my sister. I wanted to. I wanted to, I wanted to kill them. And uh, I didn't wake them up or anything. I, I waited until the morning. But first thing in the morning, I said, we're out of here. We're not, we're, we're supposed to stay there for longer. I said, we're out of here. I'm not staying here. I can't drink that stuff. I'm going to die. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, you know, so we're, and I'm just furious. I'm mad. And so we, we you know, get the tent, you know, packed up and everything, and we start hiking down the mountain, and, and I'm just mumbling, grumbling, I'm just mad, right? And we're going down, and there, after a while, I see this stream come down the mountain, right? And I look at my brother-in-law, I say, look at this thing. And he's like, I wouldn't drink it. You, don't, you have no idea where that's coming from. You don't know if that's a dead animal's up ahead, you, don't, uh, you know, up at the mountain. You don't, I said, I don't care. I'm going to drink that thing. And I, I just, I stuck my head in that thing, and I'm just sucking that water in. And that was the best water I've ever had in my life. Amen. If you've ever been that thirsty before, that water is amazing. And it was nice and cool. Oh, my goodness. But you know what that was? That was like less than a day without water. 
And I was miserable. I don't know if you've ever gone that long without water. <laughs> I go like an hour without water. I'm hurting. And here is the nation of Israel. And they've gone three days without water. I mean, if anybody has a right to complain, maybe, maybe, right? But here they are, and they're at the waters of Mara, thinking that God has answered their prayers with three days without water. And you know what it is? It's just another trial. It's another trouble. And so that's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us we're just like the nation of Israel did. We're going to go through one trial to another trial to another trial and sometimes be in, in the midst of many trials in our life. Whether you're lost, whether you're saved, we're going to go through trials. You know, you might have some family problems. You might have financial problems. You might lose your job. Uh, you might have health problems, house problems. Uh, I got a call from the other missionary that we work with. He's watching our house right now while we're gone. And uh, we lost power a couple weeks ago. And he, uh, he actually he, he texted me. And he started out this way. He said, so sorry, brother, emergency here. He never says that. And I think, oh my goodness, the house burned down, or our dog died, or you know, something like that. And I'm thinking, what in the world? So he texts back and he says, the power went out, the, uh, the circuit breaker you know, blew, and, and your chest freezer that is full, I mean, because everything has to be flown in. We had just filled it up with all meat and everything like that. I mean, over $1,000 worth of food. And we had filled that thing up. He said, I went in there three days later after the power went out. I went in there and the thing just reeked. And he went in there. He had to throw everything out. I said, that's all right. The house is still standing. The dog is still alive. It's okay. Yes, it's another trouble. It's another trial. But praise God, it's not that bad. Amen? It's just another trial. Now, that nation of Israel, they were at the waters of Mara, physical waters of Mara. But I have to say here tonight, if we spiritualize that, I believe we all go through many waters of Mara in our life, many troubles, many trials that we face. Now, when the nation of Israel got to it, they stopped fulfilling what they've been put here on this earth to do. They stopped praising and honoring and glorifying and pleasing God. The question tonight is, when we get to our waters of Mara, when we get to our trials and our troubles in this life, are we going to stop praising God and start murmuring and complaining and say, woe is me, or are we going to go through it and we're going to glorify God and we're going to please God no matter what? You say, how in the world can I do that? We're going to go through troubles and trials. Look at me to John chapter 16. It should be no surprise to us that we're going to go through trials. You say, Brother Sutton, that's not very encouraging. <laughs> it's the truth. Amen? It's the truth. Look at what Jesus Christ says here in John chapter 16. You say, what does this have to do with missions? We'll see that here in a little bit. But John chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Here Jesus Christ says, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. That seems like an oxymoron, right? You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. <laughs> that sounds crazy, right? That's insane. But the Lord says, listen, in me you might have peace. How do you have joy and peace in this world going through trials and tribulations? It's through Jesus Christ. And he says you're going to have them. He says we're going to have them. Look at me to Job chapter 5. My son loves fire. <laughs> and thank God he's not a uh, 
what do you call that when, when you pyromaniac or whatever? Pray for that, that he doesn't become one. <laughs> Amen. But he loves campfires and he loves fireplaces. And, and uh, Brother Rich had, had this fireplace going uh, just uh, this morning and last night. And just, we love campfires and things like that. Look what God says here in Job chapter 5. Well-known passage of scripture. I know we all know it, but Job chapter 5 verse 7 the Bible says, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And all the women say amen. <laughs> amen. But that's talking about mankind. Not just men go, you know, have trouble, okay? Sometimes, you know, us husbands are right. Amen. And sometimes our wives are wrong. No, never mind. <laughs> that can't be. <laughs> amen. But it says right here, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And so if you've ever seen a campfire, you look at those sparks. I mean, there is, I mean, so many sparks going up the whole entire time. And God says, just as there's that many sparks, that's how much trouble we're going to have in this life. We're going to have a lot of trouble in this life. Again, the question is, how are we going to react when we get to those troubles? How are we going to react? Are we going to stop praising God and glorifying and honoring God? Are we going to stop uh, fulfilling what God has put us on this earth to do? Or are we going to glorify God in the fires? You say, how in the world could I glorify God in the fires? Look at me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I mean, you look at Paul, and he went through so much. And still in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And you would think that would be somebody that had just a perfect life, no problems. But boy, Paul went through so much. And if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe it is, with the whole long list of what he'd been through, and he can still say that. Look at Philippians chapter 2. That was a man that was close to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You say, how in the world can I go through these trials and these troubles? Well, it says right here that in verse 13, it is God which worketh in you. He's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Whatever he allows in our life, it's for his good pleasure. And he's working in us. You say, I just don't understand it. Well, I understand, but God has a purpose for it. Look at verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. The nation of Israel got to those trials and those troubles, and they, instead of saying, you know what, God has a purpose, God's will is being done for somehow, I don't know how, is being done here for his pleasure through us. Instead of doing that, they just started murmuring and complaining. And then look at verse 15, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You see what he's saying there? He said right there that we shine as lights in the world. We start complaining and griping and, and murmuring through the troubles and the waters of Mar that we're going through. We stop shining as lights in this world. We stop reaching the world because we're so focused inwardly on our problems and our family's problems instead of trying to reach those out and about us in being lights in this world. And he says right here that we need to 
be able to not murmur and complain, but be blameless with the Lord. You say, how in the world do you do that? Look at me to Job chapter 1. <clears throat> Job chapter 1. I know we all don't like the verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And a lot of times I never fully, truly grasp what that meant because you go through some trials and you say, how in, this, how in the world could this be for good, right? You go through some things and you just, sometimes you question and you say, how in the world, God, could this, how could this work together for good? Especially when you're going through the midst of a problem. And I've had this illustration that I've done to the, to the kids, especially the King's Kids Ministry that we have. And, and so just about, I would say, six months ago, I had all the ingredients that would make, or what I would think, I'm not a baker, okay, so uh, all the ingredients that I would think that would make brownies, okay, and so I had, you know, two raw eggs, I had flour, raw flour, I had salt, I had, uh, what is it, cocoa or whatever, and I had uh, all this different stuff, vanilla, and so I cracked those eggs open, and I asked those kids, first to sixth grade, I said, who wants to eat some of these eggs? And now when you work with kids, you know what they do? Me! Me! <laughs> I said, no, 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 you can't. It just trust me, it doesn't taste good, okay? You can't, you can't eat these. You can't eat these raw eggs, okay? They, but they don't taste good. And uh, then I took the flour, and I said, now who would want to eat some raw flour, right? And of course you have me, me! So, uh, so the boy, I said, okay, come on forward. And he took that thing, it was a cup of flour, and he just went like this. And he was like, oh, oh, like this. And then she went, poof, out into the church. And uh, he's like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, do you need some water? He's like, oh, oh, you know. And so he struggled. He was struggling the rest of the night. <laughs> but uh, he deserved it, okay? He deserved it. And, uh, and so I, I wanted to be like, so that'll make, you know, that'll stop you from interrupting me when I'm preaching next time. <laughs> and uh, so he's got some water and he's struggling with that. And then I had some salt. I said, anybody want to try some of this? You know, it might be sugar. I don't know. And then they take that, oh, you know, that's terrible. And then, you know, vanilla smells good, but it doesn't taste good, all that kind of stuff. And I said, see, all this stuff individually doesn't taste good. It's not pleasurable. It's bitter many times to try and, try and swallow and get through. But boy, when you mix all that stuff together, all those ingredients that separately do not taste good, you put them all together, you mix them together, you put it in the oven, a hot oven, you take it out of that fire, and you, you, uh, you take that out and you start eating it, that is pleasurable. That is pleasurable. Now, those individual things were not pleasurable. They were sometimes bitter. But you put it all together. That's why God says all things work together for good. All things work together. Not individually necessarily, right when we're going through it. But we might not understand why we're going through what we're going through. But when we get to heaven, I know, because that's what God says, we're going to find out that all those things work together for good. And it's going to be pleasing, and of course, it's right in God's eyes. You know what God says? Everything he does is right. And we got to trust that. It's just as th those verses where, where God is righteous, God is just, all his ways are right, those are just as important as John 3.16. Just as important and just as true as all the others. And here you have in Job chapter 1, and just in case you're wondering that, that kid didn't die. Okay, he's okay. Job chapter 1. Might have lost some brain cells. I'm not really sure. but Job chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him 
in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of testimony. That is a great man of God, Job. When God can say that about, about you, look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. You know what Job was doing? His life was what God was pretty much saying here. He is fulfilling what he's been put here on this earth to do. He is glorifying and honoring and pleasing God. And so you know what Satan says? While you start doing something to him, you put him through a trial, a trouble, and you're going to see he's going to stop praising you and glorifying you. You put him through something, and he's going to curse you to your face. And you know, I mean, we know what happens to Job. Job uh, loses all his daughters. He loses all his sons. Uh, he uh, eventually, of course, God uh, allows Satan to take his body and have boils all over his body. His wife even says, curse God and die. <laughs> I mean, you talk about going through it. I don't think, no, I might be wrong, but I don't think really many of us have been through something like that before. I mean, something rough like that. And you know, look what Job says here in Job chapter 1, verse 20, after all that. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. You know what he did? He did what the nation of Israel didn't do. He got down on his hands and knees through the trials, through the waters of Marah that he was going through and still worshipped and praised God. And here he says in verse 21, And said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And we know he's gone, he went through so much. Turn with me to Job chapter 13. This is my wife's, one of my wife's life verses that she has. My wife has been through 13 surgeries so far. Uh, my wife has um, a bone disease called osteochondromatitis. I think I said that right. Uh, where bone spurs grow all of your body all throughout your life. So most likely she'll have a lot more surgeries coming up. Uh, so she's always in pain. She'll never say it. She'll never show it. But she's always in pain. She also has a blood clotting disorder as well where she gets a, a blood clots very easily, especially when pregnant. So again, I, I really ask for your prayers uh, for her. But this is one of her main verses here that she has in Job chapter 13, verse 15. After all that Job has been through, he says this, Though he, talking about God, slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. You say, how in the world do I get through these trials and troubles that you might be in the midst of right now? or you're just getting out of, and you're about to go through some more. How do you get through those still honoring God, still praising God and, and pleasing God? It's by trusting God. And by saying, God, I know that all this is going to work together for good. I might not understand it now how it will, but I know it will work together for good. And we have to trust God through it all. Look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We know who's in John chapter 11. Here's Lazarus, and he's fallen sick. And in John chapter 11, there's many different reasons why troubles come into our way. 
But you know what I believe we find out from the book of Job there? That Satan had to go before the throne of God and get permission from God to be able to do anything to Job or his family. And so what I believe that means is I believe that before anything comes to us, trial-wise, it first has to have a stamp of approval from God. And so anything we go through, we already know that nothing comes as a surprise to God. He knows exactly what we're going to go through even before we're born upon this earth. And here in John chapter 11, he knew this was going to happen to Lazarus. And of course, he loved Lazarus. Look at John chapter 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then, of course, we know that Lazarus becomes sick. They send to Jesus Christ to, for him to come because Lazarus is about to die, and Lazarus dies. And then look what happens here in verse 21, what Martha, how she reacts. Look at John chapter 11, verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, I don't know how you read into that thing, and I might be wrong, but I can almost see a sense of, Lord, why? You love him. You love my brother Lazarus. He's been dead now for four days. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And here they find the reason why he allowed him to die. Look at verse 43. He comes to the grave of Lazarus, and in John chapter 11, verse 43, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about him with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary, and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. You say, why do you believe all that happened to Lazarus and Jesus let him die? I believe it's because he knew the end. And he knew that many souls were going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved. You say, why maybe have things happened to my family or others? Maybe it's because God wants people to get saved through it. We don't know. You know, my wife and I were at a church meeting many years ago. And this was a church that she knew this young 16-year-old girl very well from growing up. And we were there. It was in between meetings. It was a Sunday morning. Then there was a, a picnic there, a lunch on the grounds there, the church grounds. And then the evening service would be after to follow, uh, probably late afternoon service. And we were out there after the morning service, and we were all, and they had the tables, and we had the food there, and we were eating, and everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, this 16-year-old girl, fully healthy, she just falls over onto the concrete out there and people just start scattering and there was two nurses there. I think one was retired, but two nurses that came over and started to work on her and I just assumed that she was choking on some food or something and, and so we all scattered and we're all starting to pray out in the lawn, you know, but we could still hear and I'll never forget the cries from, from this little 16-year-old's uh, uh, parents, from, their, from her father and mother saying, Please, honey, breathe. Breathe, honey, please breathe. And here was her six, their 16-year-old daughter that she was just dying there on the pavement. And we were praying, and, and then finally, about five minutes later, the ambulance comes, and I thought, for sure, she's going to be okay. I mean, here they are, and they're going to come and get her. And they came, and they got her. We went into the church, and we're praying in the church. And, and uh, shortly afterwards, we got a call that she had died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. You say, that's terrible. It is terrible. But you know what happened at the funeral? There was two teenage girls from that church 
that came forward and got saved at that, that funeral. They said, we were just thinking, we're teenagers. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen. We got plenty of time. They saw what happened to this 16-year-old girl, fully healthy as far as you could tell. And I believe it was a heart attack or something happened there, cardiac arrest. And she had died, and these two teenage girls that knew her very well got saved from it. You say, is that why God allowed her to die? I don't know. But most likely it was part of it at least. And boy, I, I know that if we were able to talk to her right now, because she's in heaven, if we were able to talk to her right now, she'd probably say it's all worth it because these two are in heaven or are going to be in heaven with me. You say, why in the world are we going through trials and troubles? God has a purpose for it all. And we can still glorify and worship God through it all. Lastly here, look with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, they had the cure for those bitter waters found here in Exodus chapter 15. Again, the waters of Mara that we're going to go through are plenteous in this life. Waters of Mara, trials after trials after trials. The question is, are we going to stop praising God? Are we going to stop fulfilling what God has put us on this earth to do? Or are we going to continue praising God through the fire? And lastly here, look with me to Exodus chapter 15. Look at verse 24. And the people murmured against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And so here the Lord shows them, listen, I have the, the cure and it's right there, it's that tree. Now through those three days, we don't see them at all praying to God and asking God, what are we supposed to do? They don't pray to God, they come to Moses and complain and murmur to him and Moses is the only one that brings it to God. And you see there, it says right there at the end of verse 25, and there he proved them. You know why, Jesus, why God was putting them through that trial of three days without water? Then they came to the waters of Mara. They couldn't drink of it because it was bitter. The whole reason why he did that was to prove them to see how they would react. And I believe sometimes God puts us through some stuff to see if we're going to still praise him and glorify him and trust him. And he's trying to prove us. And he's trying to see if we're going to seek him rather than try and fix those issues on our own. And here he showed them a tree, which when they would cast that tree in, it would make those waters sweet and it would be palatable that they'd be able to bear it and drink it. And you know, we have a tree today. We have the cure today. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Look at verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. 
who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now look at verse 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Here is that tree that we today have, that we can take that tree, the cross that the Lord Jesus Christ died on, and we can pour it into and throw it into the waters of Mara, the troubles that we're going through, and we can just let that thing simmer in there. Thinking about what Christ did for us. He died on that cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again for our sins according to the Scriptures. He loved us so much that He did that for us. And we start meditating and going through how much He loves us and did for us. It's going to make our trials that much better and be able to be palatable and sweet to get through. You start going through those things, you look at what the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and went through. He was at the Garden of Gethsemane. He had his Father's cup that he had a drink. And he said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, this bitter cup that I don't want to drink, which was, we heard it last night, he was going to take all the sin of the world, past, present, and future on him, and God the Father was going to have to turn his uh, back on his son. And he said, but not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus Christ did all that for us. He didn't have to, but he drank that bitter water, that bitter cup of taking sin on that cross for us, on his body, and he did all that. And now if we take that and say, my goodness, my Savior loves me so much, look what he did for me, and we start focusing on it by reading this Bible every day and learning about our Savior, learning and getting closer to him and praying to him daily and getting a closer relationship to him and memorizing scripture and coming to church and, and learning about the Lord, boy, it makes our trials a lot easier to get through. And we can go through those waters of Mara and those troubles, and yes, it's going to be still hard, but... In the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And through our Savior and what he did on that tree, on that cross, we can get through it. You know, Horatio Spafford, he was the one that wrote, It is well with my soul. Many of you probably know the story. But he had lost a fortune in the great Chicago fire of 1871. And around that same time, he lost his four-year-old son to the scarlet fever. And they went through so much, and he said, you know what, I need to get the rest of my family out of here and go on a vacation and, and try and get through this. And so he sent his four daughters, and he sent his wife on a, uh, on a vessel, on a ship, to sail to England. And he was going to, of course, meet them later when he could. And while Horatio's family were crossing the Atlantic Ocean, their ship was involved in a terrible collision out there on the sea, and over 200 souls perished that day in the waters. And Horatio's four daughters was among them that perished that day. And his wife was able to get back to England safe. And she sent him this telegram which said this, Saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone, what shall I do? And Horatio, he immediately set sail for England. And he was, of course, just overwrought with grief. And as they were sailing, the captain of the ship came to Horatio and said, listen, I want you to know that we're about over that area where that ship, that vessel went down and your four daughters perished in the water. And so here Horatio came and, and he knew the exact spot that they perished in that water and he was just overcome with grief thinking about his four daughters that drowned right in that area. But then he started to be comforted by the Lord and he was 
filled, his heart was filled with hope. And he started writing the words to the hymn, It is well with my soul. And part of it goes like this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know what that is? That's a man that had some bitter waters to drink. He had some bitter waters of Mara to go through. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, his Savior, what his Savior did on that tree, on that cross, he was able to get through that bitter waters of Mara with his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, we've got people all over the world today that are engulfed, that are just surrounded by waters of Mara. Whether it's in Alaska, whether it's here in Clinton, Maine, whether it's in Uganda, whether it's all over the world, wherever it is, whether it's in Iran and, and I mean, everywhere, we got to think about here are these people, they're lost, they're on their way to hell, but just like us that are saved on our way to heaven and have a Savior to be able to get through these waters of Mara, all these people all over the world do not have a Savior to be able to get through these. So man, they're going through all these troubles, all these trials, we wonder why people are miserable today. Because they don't have the answer, they don't have the cure, they need the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so when we go out and we talk about missions and praise God for missions, we got to look at it, I believe, as well as not only do they get through the waters of Mara, the troubles and trials that they're going through, but man, every single soul that gets saved, as we heard last night, they're starting now to be able to praise God and be able to give Him honor and glory and please their Savior. They're able to start fulfilling what they've been put here on the earth to do. So when we go to Iran, when we go to Alaska, when we go to Uganda, when we go all over most parts of the world with gospel tracts and literature and, and everywhere else, we are being able to get people saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and be cleansed and, and all that. And then they're able to bring out praises and fulfill what they've been put on this earth to do. And praise God for that. And I believe that is the main point of missions is not only saving them from hell, but allowing them to be able to fulfill what they've been put here on this earth to do. And you know, for us as well, as we've already seen, if we're going through trials and tribulations in our waters of Mara, and we just murmur and complain, which is, it's, it's fleshly to do that. It's our nature to do that. It's not spiritual to do that. It's not through the Lord. But when we go through it with the Lord, we can be as lights and shine through this world and shine that light out through all the world and say, you know what, I know I'm going through some problems, but boy, I can pray for these missionaries. Boy, I can give to this, these missionaries. And boy, we can see more people get through those waters of Mara now with a Savior. And now they can praise God for all of eternity because that's why they've been put here on this earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for the night you've given us. Thank you so much for the word of God.